Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Be Unbound podcast. This week, I'm very excited about what we have in store for you guys because we've got Kamel, we've got Michael, we've got Abe, we've got Jace. All of them work for Unbound right now, and all of them are creatives in different shapes and forms. And so we're going to talk about creativity. We're going to talk about different the way creativity impacts culture. We're going to talk about what to do when you get stuck creatively. We're going to talk about a lot of things. So if you're at all creative or interested in being creative, I hope that you'll enjoy this podcast quite a lot. Before we hop into it, real quick, I just want to remind you guys that the Ascend program, our main college program that um, students enter the Unbound community into or through now, you can go to beunbound.us slash Ascend to learn more about it, but the price goes up at the end of March. So if you know someone, if you have a friend, you can go to beunbound.us slash refer and you can generate your unique referral link to refer a friend to the program and you also get some free perks alongside with that. So definitely go to beunbound.us slash refer to check that out. If you know someone who's looking for a college program who you think is a good fit for the community, they should absolutely enroll before March 31st to get the best deal. So with that being said, I think it would be helpful for everyone to just kind of introduce themselves, give a little context into what you do creatively. So how about let's do an introduction. Let's do uh, where you live what you do for Unbound, and what your creative background is. Um, let's go ahead and start with Kamel. Hi, uh, so I'm Kamel, as Ben just said, and I'm a social media assistant for Unbound. I live in Nairobi, Kenya. And as a kid, I grew up in a pretty creative house. My parents were in a band um, when they were younger, and they sold cassettes. Um, and we... Well, and so they really encouraged us to explore creativity. Uh, we did music when we were kids and also loved to read. Um, and from there, I learned that I just loved stories and I loved hearing stories and telling stories. And I was just amazed at how much you can share with other people if you learn to communicate well and tell stories well. And so I started writing. Eventually, I got into blogging. From there, I had to learn graphic and web design. So I did that. And then I also learned how to make YouTube videos. And now I'm into social media. Right on. Cool. Um, I'm Michael. Uh, I am currently in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is the most awesome state, but that's just my opinion. And then uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll give you I'll give you pretty cool. I live in Texas, but I'll give it I'll give it up there. I don't know. I'm still I'm still new. So it's I'm still having that honeymoon phase of amazingness. But I don't from the people I've talked to, it never ends the honeymoon phase. So anyway, uh, I'm currently the um, media production specialist for Unbound and edit this podcast every week. So that's fun. Uh, my creative background, I my gosh, I've done so much. So I grew up doing music and was wanting to be a film composer growing up. So I was writing music. I wanted to uh, score films and all the epic soundtracks and stuff like that, did music camps. And then all through that, I also was just filming random little videos for myself, doing uh, stop motion with Legos and time lapses of conferences and seeing how everything worked, which is like one little webcam. And I really got into time lapses. And so now I do a bunch of astrophotography time lapses, um, as well as just getting into drones. So 
I don't know, a little bit of everything. And uh, yeah, that's me. Right on. What's up, guys? This is Abe. Um, I am the video producer at Unbound, where I hopefully make people look good. And uh, yeah, I, I create the content for the YouTube channel and uh, a lot of other social media platforms. Uh, what I do, uh, I should say, hmm, I'm just trying to think of background. Oh, I'm from New York City. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm from New York City, um, lived there most of my life. And so I take pride in being one of the, the few and proud uh, like New York City people in Unbound or city people for that matter. Yeah. So I also kind of grew up just around creative people. Um, I always, like Kamel, was interested in stories and um, I would draw, I would like tell stories. Um, I was always pestering people with my crazy like stories and whatnot. Um, and then I just kind of discovered in elementary school that video was a good way to tell stories. And uh, I remember watching the behind the scenes stuff for Lord of the Rings and being like, whoa, they like make this stuff. Like, this is so cool. And so I, it kind of just started from there, um, making a huge ton of crappy videos and just learning from that and uh, dragging my little brothers into videos and forcing them to do skits with me and all that. So yeah, that's kind of how I started. Here I am. <laughs> right on. I'm Jace. I uh, live here in Shenandoah Valley, Virginia, and I serve Unbound as the content development specialist. So I write the blog and and content blasts, newsletters, that kind of thing, uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, I am a writer, um, so I work with Unbound, but I also do a ton of stuff on the side. Um, have tried some business uh, writing kind of personal blogging, just a, a variety of things, doing things with the written word. So that's kind of where I, I exercise most of my creativity. And you're, uh, you're published as well, aren't you? Yes. With some history books. Yep. Wrote a couple of history books, um, several years ago and, um, working on trying to think about another book at some point. Um, we'll see. I start a lot of things, but don't always finish them. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel that. I can feel that. Yeah, I think I I uh, echo a lot of it, especially a lot of the things that Kamel and Abe said, where it's just like it kind of started early and then I've done a ton of random stuff. And so, like, I mean, if anything, you could say I got a rough start with creativity because I just remember in kindergarten, I thought crafts were the dumbest thing in the world. I was like macaroni on construction paper. This is ridiculous. Um, this is below me. I don't understand why we're doing this. It doesn't communicate anything. It's not interesting. Um, and I had no idea why I was being forced to do any of that. And so, but beyond that, beside that, um, I think early on I got into music. I played several instruments for a while, um, especially pre-high school. I got into blogging in high school. I wrote a ton of stuff. Um, and then I got into photography, late high school, and then early college got into film, um, which is where Abe and I share a lot of 
creative experience as well. Just, um, you know, working on different movies, um, a lot of editing, a lot of shooting, and then, and then more recently, a lot of commercial work. So doing advertisements and working for, you know, doing contract work and things like that. So despite my early resistance to creative work, I've, it's actually come to dominate most of my uh, career. So, um, kind of a, there's a little twist in the story there, right? And that's what you need for a good story. But I'm kind of curious to know, just as like a first question to kind of to really get things going here, and I, I'm interested to hear from all of you guys on this, but in the last six months, the last year, um, it, is there something that you guys have read, seen, or heard that just kind of blew your mind? Like one of those things where, you know, I feel like those those moments happen kind of infrequently where you're like really impressed with something and it, or maybe it changed the way that you thought about a particular uh, medium. So, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of curious what you guys if you guys have seen anything lately. Uh, for me, early December or November, I was watching this poetry conference event thing. And one of the poets who was there, his name is Chris Webb, and he is a really good poet, but also is an amazing videographer and amazing at editing and after effects and just all of that. And his performance was ridiculous. Like it was good from a lyrical standpoint, but then visually it was also really good. And he just found a way to take everything that he, like every part of his creativity and use it to tell one story. Um, and so he's into music as well. And he found a way to incorporate that. And it was really cool to see somebody use every aspect of their creativity rather than feeling like you have to choose one over the other or you have to get rid of something to make room for something else. Uh, so that was really cool. Yeah. Was that live? No, they they did like a a premiere, like a YouTube premiere. So it was all pre-recorded, pre-edited. Um, gotcha. And then they put it all together. Very cool. Very cool. How about you, Michael? Yeah, so this is going to be an unconventional answer, but we are unbound. So I have to say, moving out to Colorado um, and seeing the mountains and um, the sunsets and stuff out here blew my mind. Um, and so the, the concept of location can like bar all kinds of new forms of creativity. So just driving through the mountains, flying my drone, seeing beautiful sunsets, taking star time lapses, and then following the creatives here um, on Instagram and the people who are in Garden of the Gods every day posting pictures. And there's, there's something about location that spars a new form of creativity. And um, even when I was back in Massachusetts in New England, where I grew up, I was aspiring to get the real shots. And um, I don't know, being around the people that are getting the real shots um, as far as stars and um, nature and panoramas and stuff has been really inspiring. And uh, yeah, I've... I've I've enjoyed that. It's definitely boosted my creativity over the last year. Yeah. Well, it's hard to top God when you're talking about creators, right? Exactly. You know, that's a that's a pretty good choice. 
Um, hard to debate that. Yep. I think even things like the weather, um, you know, as kind of spring is springing, um, it's definitely gotten me in more of a creative mood as well, Michael, just being able to like be in that um, natural environment. I will second that Michael's drone videos are pretty cool. So definitely check them out. You might get inspired yourself. It's funny because a simple tool can be really amplified just by the content that it's recording. A hundred percent. Like same drone, Massachusetts, beautiful forests, like the rolling carpet, but you come out here and it's like sunsets and vast landscapes with mountains and it just, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. I've heard, I've actually heard similar things even with like, um, like cinematographers saying that your set designer is basically your biggest asset because people will look at a set that was created by someone else and you just lit it and filmed it. And people will be like, this is amazing cinematography. And you're like, yeah, but like, like, yes, but then also like it's, you know, you're not seeing the invisible work that was done by that set designer that actually looked really cool. So I think, you know, it's a little bit like that. Same thing with like, if you give a pro a cell phone, right, they could do something with that. If you give an amateur a red cinema camera, right, you're going to, you're going to get something that's okay, maybe. Um, but it's like, there's a, there's a difference there and location and, and environment makes a huge difference. How about you, Abe? Yeah, so I'm a film guy and uh, I love movies, especially sci-fi films. And uh, I've just been, just been really trying to look for good films these days. Something I saw, um, have any of you guys seen I Am Mother on Netflix? Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, um, I'm plugging in now, go watch that movie. It's a really cool um, independent Australian, it's like a low budget Australian sci-fi film. But it is so good. So basically, it's about um, a robot who is like a maternity ro robot, like a mother. And um, there's been this like apocalypse, everyone's dead, and this mother has to raise this girl. And this girl grows up. And then, you know, she is taught by mother that, you know, and I mean, like basically everyone outside is dead and all that. But then one day someone shows up at the door. And she's like, oh, do I let this person in? What's going on? It's super cool. And um, just from a film perspective, it really blew me away uh, because um, kind of like you were saying, Kamel, with the poetry, it's like there's you can see where artists are um, taking everything in their in their bag and just being creative with um, all the tools, you know, when you don't have a big budget. Um, yeah, it looks so impressive. Uh, they actually built just a, a robot, like this suit for the robot, and they only had one because they didn't have the budget, but it looks so good. And uh, yeah, you should definitely check out this film. There's like the story has a lot of deep stuff in it, and like you realize stuff, you know, after multiple watchings as well. Anyways, that's cool. very cool. Nice. Those are like the best kinds of movies that you can rewatch and not it doesn't take away from the experience watching it a second time or third time, but it actually adds to it. Oh yeah. It's almost like better watching it a second time. I love those. Yeah. That's me with Christopher Nolan movies. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I know, uh, Ben, you, 
you know, asked six months, which is a long time. Um, but I found something on Tuesday that, um, was really deep and, uh, inspired me in a way as a quote, um, from someone named John Ruskin, who is an English Victorian writer and artist. And, and he said, um, quote, I believe that the first test of a great man is his humility. I don't mean by humility, doubt of his power, but really great men have a curious feeling that the greatness is not of them, but through them. And they see something divine in every other man and are endlessly, foolishly, incredibly merciful. Um, and that quote just, I don't know, it hit me and I was like, wow, this is like really, really profound. Um, and it's, it's not directly tied to like art or creativity necessarily, but I think it's an important lesson to remember that our creativity is from God and it flows through us and not of us. And therefore we don't have to doubt it. We don't have to apologize for it, but we definitely don't have to put ourselves on a pedestal and having that humility um, to use our creativity for the benefit of others. And then, you know, beyond that, just to, um, you know, it, it inspired me to think about just the implications of, of what he wrote and it, it, inspired some creative thought in my part and I did some writing and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was a creative inspiration. Um, but it also has a lot of big lessons, I think for creativity in general. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. It actually, that reminds me of a Michael Ramson quote, um, that always stuck in my mind. He said that humility is withholding your power for the good of others. Right. And that connects really well to that, you know, the famous CS Lewis quote that it's, not thinking less of yourself is thinking of yourself less. Right. So it's really about like, you don't, it's not about the, just like, um, just like the quote you read, it's not about doubting yourself. Right. But it's about understanding it and then using it in a way that serves others instead of yourself. Right. Um, so that's super cool. That's super cool. Um, well, I, you guys all had like super creative and like intellectual answers. So I'm going to ground us here in the mainstream. And I'm going to say <laughs> it was one of those things where over the over the Christmas break, I was catching up on the Mandalorian. And I just got to say, chapter 13, in my opinion, probably the greatest single work in Star Wars in the last 20 plus years. Like, that's my hot take. And we could talk about this. I know you guys watch The Mandalorian, but it's just like the way the use of subtext is funny because a lot everybody was talking about the finale. But it's like chapter 13 was like it was there was so much depth. There were so many layers of storytelling. And then the way that it just took everything about the Star Wars universe and made it really cohesive and it really grounded. I, I felt like it really grounded the entire series. Um, so anyway, uh, I don't know if you guys completely disagree with me, but I just remember seeing that and being like, wow, like, like that took, you know, it takes such a deep understanding of Star Wars and such a excellence in skill and storytelling to be able to accomplish something like that. So that's my answer. But did you catch all the Kurosawa references? That's, that's the real question for a filmmaker. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All the use of like, especially the visual use, right? Like the way that they use the weather and the wind and the rain, like that's all very Kurosawa, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's very Star Wars. Cause it's funny. You look at like the original series, if you compare a bunch of stuff in the original trilogy to the work of Kurosawa, you're like, oh, George Lucas may be a creative genius. Also probably just stole from Kurosawa. Like it's so I mean, blatant. He did. Yeah. He yeah. Literally did. <laughs> 
But like he took it to a Western audience and we were all like, whoa. But like Kurosawa did that like 20, 30, 40 years ago whenever he was making his movies. So, yeah. And just for some context, uh, Kira Kurosawa is a Japanese filmmaker, one of the greats, like up there with, you know, Stanley Kubrick and others. Um, and he, he was famous for doing um, samurai films back in the day. And my dad is big into like samurai history and all that. So I grew up watching Kurosawa. And I think that also really influenced me just visually and uh, from a storytelling perspective. So yeah, it was really cool seeing that Mandalorian again. Just a little fan for like, ah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I still need to sit down and watch a bunch of his actual work. Like I've learned about the connection through like different video essays, but I still haven't taken the time to really like watch a bunch of Kurosawa movies. So mm. um, I would well, love to do that. But. One more plug, just watch The Hidden Fortress. It's what uh, Star Wars is kind of based on. And it's, a, okay. it's actually really fun. There you go. The Hidden Fortress. Um so now taking it now, you know, taking this from the theoretical or from work that others have done, I'd like to talk about the, the like y'all's own work and creativity and your own experience. And I think especially thinking of creative people who might be listening to this podcast. Um, I'm just curious to hear. Um, and this could mean many things. And so I'm open to any type of answer. You guys could be as creative as you want with your answer. But when you get stuck creatively, it's very ambiguous. But when you get stuck creatively, and you guys probably have felt some version of that before. What do you do? I usually just work on something else. Um, as much as I love creative things and making things, I also really love like math and science. And so like I'll go watch a video about like data analytics or the Instagram algorithm. Like I'll go do something completely different. If I can't um, write something profound, then I'll go make a wallpaper for my phone or I'll brainstorm video ideas and just try to get myself to use other parts of my brain. And I found that when I am so set on working on one thing, I can get clouded by just like my own hamster wheeling and like going in circles that I just need a second away. So when I come back to try and solve whatever creative problem it is, um, I have fresh eyes. So I go do something else. I walk away <laughs> and then come back to it later. That's interesting that you mentioned that, Carmel, because I can definitely relate because um, I also love like math and science and like technology, maybe not as much math, but like numbers. And um, there is this weird mesh between approaching a creative problem from like an analytical here's the algorithm to make the the best product, the best creative thing versus let's just remove all of these structures and see what flows. And I uh, have definitely constantly gone back and forth in that balance of structure to make a creative flow versus removing the inhibitors um, that are the way it must be done in my mind or the way that it was taught and seeing what comes out of that. Um, that's that's one thing that I've done. And whenever I've had, like I remember this in composition, I, I took a composition lesson in, in college or a course. Um, and my teacher was like, 
just remove all of the barriers. Just play some random notes, see what happens. I'm like, but wait, it needs to be in the key. It needs to be like in this structure, in this form. It's just like, take that away and, and see what happens. And so I started just randomly hitting uh, all the notes on the piano. And I came up with some really fun and funky stuff. Um, and I didn't end up using all of it because some of it works and some of it doesn't. But it put me in a different space and a different palette per se to work in that I had ever worked in before. Um, and I still kind of go into that palette sometimes, which is fun. Makes a lot so that of sounds kind of bad. No, 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 that's it. That was all I was going to say. Go for it. Yeah, I was going to say, so if, uh, hmm, I think one thing that's been really uh, interesting for me, I don't know if I necessarily think it's a really good thing, but pressure really does do something to you. And uh, <laughs> a lot of times that means a deadline, but um, sometimes it's just giving yourself pressure, or even the pressure of talking to people. And um, I'm a external processor like I need to talk to people and I'll totally just you know dump on you <laughs> sometimes right and um I, I found that uh yeah some of my like best work the stuff I've, I'm proud of came from just hitting a hitting a problem and yes what you're saying Michael and Camille like removing barriers um just doing it um, but also having that pressure, whether it was a deadline or, um, you know, having someone else like, all right, you should be should maybe try this or whatnot. And just having that really kind of uh, pushed me into like, it forced me into a different perspective. And uh, again, when you have pressure, you're just putting stuff for me at editing, right? I'm just like throwing stuff up there, trying different things, seeing if it works. And uh surprisingly things sometimes click you know um it's not necessarily a system but yeah you just have to try stuff to see what works yeah absolutely i think i would say something pretty similar to kamel actually um in kind of a way stepping away um i think it's really hard for me to sit down um and at the desk and be like, okay, I'm going to be creative. Um, it's not an on-demand thing. Um, and so usually what happens most of the time is if I'm going to write a blog post um, that's more creative, that's like my work and not necessarily like business work, um, but just me creating, it's going to take me like a couple days of just like thinking things, mulling them over. And then you know, it might take an afternoon, it might take a week or whatever. It might take, you know, several months of just kind of a simmer um, before I'm like, okay, I have a lot of content here that like I can all, now I can just sit down and structure it. Um, and so I think creativity is a lot more than just the delivery of it. You know, it's a lot more than just painting the picture or, you know, playing or writing the song. It's a lot more than writing the story or producing the video, that's the delivery, um, which is a, a big part of it. 
Um, but I think a lot of it also just has to do with uh, creative brainstorming. And so um, when I'm, you know, hung up on something creatively, I think I just, you know, step away and give it time, give it time to process and give my spell, uh, myself some space to, um, to get it right in my head before I start trying to, to get it right on, on paper. I, in high school, to what you're saying, Jace, I was really bad about that. I would combine what Abe said and what you said. If I was given a writing assignment, like on Monday and it's due Friday, I would look at the assignment, read through it, come up with a couple ideas on Monday, and then I wouldn't work on it until Thursday night, which meant that like I had done a lot of processing but I hadn't done a whole ton of execution. <laughs> and so I'd be sitting there like, oh no, now I need to put this all together in one night. And as I've grown, I've learned to use that in a healthy way of like, okay, you're allowed to process this in your head for 50 minutes for two days. But then at some point you need to sit down and just start trying things out like what Michael said. And eventually you will get somewhere. You just need to do it. Something like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes it's just about doing it. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. In fact, there's a book that some of you guys may have read about this called um, The War of Art, which uh, is a play on the art of war by Sun Tzu. It's the famous kind of war manual. But The War of Art, it talks a lot about and it places a lot of emphasis on um, just execution, just doing the work. And as you do that, you iterate, you learn. Um, and you can kind of move forward. So generally speaking, that is my bias is kind of towards let's just make it now. And then if it needs to be changed, we'll be able to change it in time. Um, if it's good, it's good. Um, if it's OK, but it needs to be done now, then we'll learn from it. And so, like, I think one of the things that was really educational for me was in 20, I believe it was 2017, I made a video every week for a year. And it was I, it was a creative exercise and consistency in the sense that it was like, I'm just going to force myself. Every Friday, a video goes up. And I don't care if it's a video of me staring at the camera with nothing to say, like the video goes up. And so it's like just putting that pressure on myself. And so it's like every week, it's like, you got to write a new script. You got to record it. You got to edit it. You got to get it up. And so, you know, was it my best work? Absolutely not. But it did at least, it was a way of kind of proving to myself, okay, I can at least do this thing every week and I can get a little bit better each time and I can look for ways to improve. Um, and I was really busy at the time as well. So it was super challenging. Um, but there's absolutely a balance because sometimes I feel like I make a video and then a week later, I'm like, that's what I should have done. Right. And so you're like, did it really have to go out last week or, you know, like, could you have incorporated that? So those questions become really tricky, but I think for me, whenever I feel stuck creatively, I, I, it, the route that I take depends on how am I stuck. If I'm stuck because I'm working on it too hard, then that means that usually means take a break, think about something else, and something will come to mind that will help you solve the problem. That almost always works. If I'm stuck because I'm not working on it, the answer is work on it. Right. And so I, there's I've also been in situations, especially um, in professional environments where you're like, OK, I got to make this ad. And you're like, yeah, I have a script and I have a bunch of the stuff recorded, but I'm just not inspired to make it. And so I'm just kind of not making it. And it's like, well, 
that just means you're stuck because you're not really that interested in it, which in itself tells you something. But that's where even things like really simple tools like a tomato timer have been incredibly helpful because it's like, okay, I'm going to set a timer and literally like I'm just I'm only committing to working on this for 20 minutes and then I can stop and take a break. So it's like, okay, that's it. That's all I got to do. It's like I'm not interested in this project. I just got to make the video just work out for 20 minutes and without fail within this in the span of that 20 minutes, I will have made enough progress that I'm like, oh, okay, like this is going somewhere. And then I eventually I can get it done. So it kind of depends. It's like, do I need to give myself a kick in the rear or am I like, am I stuck because I'm just like going too hard, like basically trying too hard right on the project. And it's like, I'm just thinking about the same things over and over again. If that's the case, then it's probably time to take a step back. So that's kind of how I look at it. So, Mike, I'm kind of realizing, you know, as we're going along that my questions are kind of uh, they kind of go in and out uh, in categorically. So we talked about cultural execution. Then we talked about personal creativity. But now I'm bringing it back to the cultural level. So hopefully you guys are having a fun time while I'm just bouncing around here. But um, the next question that I'd be really curious to hear from you guys on. And I just honestly, this is something that, you know, there, I don't I'm not sure there's a definitive answer on, but. The question is, and I'd love to hear some perspective. The question is, do you think the value of artistic work is proportional to social adoption? In other words, um, in, in other words, it's popularity. So it's like, you know, if, if pop music sells a million albums and everybody thinks it's amazing and they're all listening to Taylor Swift, does that mean Taylor Swift is creatively superior to somebody who is not selling that many albums? Right. That's essentially the question. Um, so I'm just kind of curious to hear if you guys have any thoughts, perspective, if you've ever thought about that before. Yeah, I, I, that's a tough question. Um, I think yes and no, I don't think that art gets its value from being seen by other people. Uh, for me, creating has been a way for me to process my own life and figure out like how I want to share my story with other people. And so if for every, realistically, for every one thing that I share with other people, whether that's my family or on the internet, I've created five to 10 other things that didn't go anywhere. Whether it was one sentence that I realized, you know, that's a really bad idea. I'm not going to write about that. Or I've written entire blog posts that just sit there because I'm like, that doesn't need, that's fine. It was for me. It's good. Um, and so I think there's value in just the act of creating. Um, but on the other hand, I do think that to some degree, um, a lot of the, like, there's something special about the creative work that we see in the quote unquote mainstream in the sense that either like their social media strategy was really creative. So they were able to get that piece out to a lot of people or like something they did with their lyrics really resonated with a lot of people. And I think that there is something like there has to be a reason why things become mainstream or become popular and that it takes a lot of creativity and a lot of work, especially now for somebody's creative work to get to that scale. I think people like to sell the whole idea of the overnight success. Uh, people talk about that all the time, right? But 
what people don't realize is how much work goes into the creative process. And there definitely is um, a level of respect that if you have, if you've reached a level of popularity, um, some of it is kind of systematic and there is, that's a whole other conversation of how um, art has in some ways, you know, it's become more systematic of what's popular, but yeah, there is definitely, um, yeah, respect to like, okay, yeah, you did something that definitely worked and you have to pay attention to it, even if you don't like it, you know? It also is the question of, um, does culture reflect creativity or does creativity reflect culture? Mm-hmm. Um, which is always a crazy question to ask because um, it makes you think, like, is is this the, the content that we see in our world, is this what's shaping culture or is it a reflection of the people in our culture making this content? Um, I've always thought that um, there's somewhat a formula of of what makes things viral or, or things really popular, and it's kind of this this understanding of human psychology and sociology and like stimuli and all of those different things. And this is where my math and science brain starts kicking in. And everyone's like, oh, here's the formula for virality for a viral video. And it's like, well, it's sort of there. And, but it's also not. And, um, or someone has a, a one hit success and then they try to like milk that success and launch their career. Um, and you can't live off of one hit viral videos um, completely. You have to be able to continuously produce um, stuff that has its own style, that has its own um, impact. So I guess I'm going back and forth with this idea of, wow, okay, is there something to be said about the the analytical side to creativity that produces success? Or is there something to be said about the creative side? And I think there's a little bit of both. Um, There's certainly a right time, right place component, um, but there is something to be said about a good social media marketing campaign. And there's something to be said about having something that's worth watching or worth listening to or worth reading in the first place. and mainstream music is mainstream because there's a lot of people that enjoy that type of thing. But when you become mainstream and you have an audience, you also get to determine what mainstream is. And um, that's kind of a fascinating concept. Those who are mainstream get to shape what mainstream becomes because they're always having to shift and adjust to maintain their audience. But then you can also argue how, you know, the audience, they're trying to please the audience, which is also really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's fascinating too why, like, when you talk about social adoption, Ben, I don't know if that necessarily means popularity or that a lot of people love it. Um, sometimes social adoption, I think, is just not even about the art it's about um social acceptance 
right? And so if you um, if you want to get in with the cool kids, you listen to the cool kids' music and you wear the cool kids' clothes, and so you adopt the the art and creativity that they adopt. And so I think in some ways, like the example of pop music, there are people I'm sure who love love pop music. Um, but I think there's also a lot of people who probably listen to pop music. And like Michael was saying, it's on the radio. And so they listen to the radio and they listen to pop music. But if you really ask them like, Hey, like, is this art valuable to you and stuff? I, you know, they might be like, well, you know, I don't know, not necessarily, but, um, there's a lot of reasons that we consume the content we consume and we consume the art we consume. Um, and I think part of it is, is, we we live as social beings and what we accept as art is part of how we um, organize ourselves into groups. And so there's a lot of other underlying motivations for, for doing things and it can go both ways, right? You know, like there might be someone who's like, I'm afraid to admit that I actually love pop music because, you know, all my friends are the pop music haters and like the indie people and stuff. And so it's hard because value, I think in a lot of ways for art, you know, we all say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I think to some degree that's true. Um, and so, yes, there's absolutely, um, something to be said for, okay, if this is, you know, our artistic piece or whatever that becomes widely accepted, then there's probably something there that is touching on a nerve of a lot of people. Um, but it's hard to judge the value of that, um, you know, based on just that alone. So I don't know. It's a tough question. It's a good one. It's gotten me thinking, um, and it's very inspiring, Ben, your questions are just inspire inspiring i think it's got us all thinking like, <laughs> I, I, I feel like those answers weren't answers they were just us chewing through the question <laughs> yeah. that's the point of the question um yeah it's yeah. funny because like i think commercial creativity for lack of a better term i think can distort what creativity is and and especially can kind of get people putting the cart in front of the horse in the sense that um you know, I, at least in my opinion, fundamentally, art is about self-expression. And even when I think about, you know, God created the earth and he created us so that he could know us like God created God's creativity is a form of self-expression. We can know God through nature. We can know God through relationships. We can know God through his revealed word. Right. And so that's that's authoring. Right. And so all of that is is a way for us to know God. And so I think that kind of the root of creativity is 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 also self-expression. If I create something, it's a way for you to know me. Right now, whether or not it's received in the way that it was intended, that's a whole different conversation. But I think when you when you're talking, when you turn that into um, a commercial work, fundamentally, you turn that into um, the concern is on the audience more than on the creator, if that makes sense. So you start to talk about audiences and you say, OK, 
So like a great example is like there was, you know, there was no market for rock and roll until there was the Beatles, right? There was not a commercial business for it. And and there practically weren't labels really until the last 200 years or so, right? There wasn't really such a thing as selling creativity um, apart from, you know, you could get talk about paintings and sculptures and maybe there were sales. You go all the way back to Michelangelo, right? But then you talk about the things that are remembered. I think when you, when a piece of creative, when creative work is produced, I think I think its social value is basically to be determined until the end of time because so much creative work is valued now that wasn't valued when it was created, right? But when you're talking about commercial work, you have to zero in on what's valued by our culture now and how can we turn that into dollars in the bank, right? And I don't necessarily think that that actually... I don't necessarily think that that's, you know, because I think a lot of creators look at that and think it's gross and perverse. And it's like, well, maybe. And I think there's definitely some ways that labels and and businessmen and creative work can like kind of take advantage of creative people. That definitely happens. But at the same time, you have to admit, you know, this person made something and it appealed to millions of people. And there is something to be said for that. Their self-expression resonated with so many people and that it was valuable enough that people could make money on it. There is something to be said for that as well. Um, and so that's just kind of the way that I think about it. And that's why it's like, you know, if I write a song about love, the, od- the, the audience for that is the entire world, right? Anybody that can understand the language that I'm speaking, right? Everybody has experiences with love. If I write a song about marketing automation systems, there's a limited audience for that, but it is a form of self-expression. And if somebody understands what I'm saying, then we actually have forged a connection, right? And so I think it's, it's really interesting, but I guess like the thing that I see a lot is people make something and especially when people make something for other people, um, you can start to get lost because you're actually, you know, you get to, you can, you can get to a place where you're not really expressing yourself anymore. You're actually just trying to echo back what the culture is doing in such a way to actually produce money. And at that point you have a business model, you're not making art, like it's, it's different, but there's so many nuances inside of that, that it's, it becomes, it's really fuzzy. Yeah. I, I, okay. I'm going to push back a little bit on the last thing you said about if you are making stuff for other people as a business and you're not necessarily explicitly um, expressing your personality or your values or whatever, then it's not art. I think it, it still can be. Um, it's, but it's a tricky line to walk, like you said. Um, with, uh, for example, websites that I design for uh, different people. Uh, on one hand, I have to remind myself that this website isn't for me and it's about sharing their story and using the color palettes that they like and it has nothing to do with me. And I need to separate myself from that and like kill my darlings. Um, but at the same time, they could hire any web design. Like there are so many web designers out there, many of whom are technically much more talented than I am but the reason that they're hiring me is because of the little things that I do that are me and I don't I don't necessarily do them consciously uh sometimes it's maybe the way that I write copy or it's the way that I um edit their photos to have a warmer tone versus a cooler tone like it's stuff that is very technical and technically anybody could do them 
but only I do them the way that I do them just because, you know, we're human. We all have our own little ways of doing things. And so I think there is a way to share yourself through creative business and creative work, but it takes a lot of intentionality and it is really easy to just say, oh, I'm just going to create for other people. It doesn't really matter where I'm at and what I want to express. Like, I think that's really dangerous, like you said. But I think if you're careful, you can either mix the two or you can say, okay, I'm going to create this for me. I'm going to create this for somebody else. I'm going to create this for me. And this is for somebody else and go back and forth between the two. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's interesting where, um, like you're saying, Kamal, like there is part of, I really like what you said about how, you know, we bring our individual artistry to something because I, I think God created us with um, just a, a meter for it. It's really weird. You know how when you watch movies, um, there's the whole uncanny valley thing of you can tell when something's fake and it just is off. Like it looks picture perfect, but then there's something off about how they move or whatever. And I just think it's really interesting where you um, have these artists who are mainstream and they blow up and a big part of it, yes, you know, it is mainstream and there's a lot that went into it, but there is also, it's also like the artist that brings that personality to it. And then there's always imitators, right? Um, that kind of come along and try to jump on the hype train and usually you can tell like it, there's just this really weird fine line like okay you can tell where people are trying to jump on something again at that point i mean i guess it's still art but it might not be well done just because there is that element of you know it's it's not exactly them they're trying to be something else you know well, I feel like we could probably talk for the rest of the podcast about this question, but I do want to get to a few other things real quick before we wrap up. Um, this next part, I'm actually really interested in because I asked everyone on this panel to come with a question to ask the panel, and I have no idea what the questions are. Um, so let's go ahead and start with you, Kamel. What's your question? Um, maybe we'll try to keep our answers. Maybe one or two of us will answer the question. We'll try to keep it to around uh, 90 seconds to two minutes, somewhere in that range. So um, just so that we can kind of get through these. And maybe if there's some topics inside of here, like I think what we just talked about, definitely worth revisiting on another panel in the future. And there's probably a few questions in here that are worth revisiting in the future. So uh, we'll do that. But let's, let's maybe try to keep our answers a little bit shorter. But but um, go ahead, Kamel. What um, what question do you have for us? Yes. So as much as I've talked about how um, art is valuable in itself and you should create for yourself and that's wonderful, um, would you all still create if you knew for a fact that nobody was ever going to see your art and was never going to interact with it? I think I would, but not nearly as much because I just love the sharing part. And I, I sharing with yourself is a little bit, you know, less fun. <laughs> I think I would. Um, and I have the benefit of currently not many people reading my stuff anyway. So <laughs> I'm already there. Um, like my mom reads it, you know, but she's, you know, that's different. Um, thank you, mom, for reading all my stuff. Um, yeah, no, I think this is an interesting question. And I actually wrote about it like, 
couple weeks ago is like two questions every every creative should ask themselves is first of all does this need to be created and secondly does this need to be consumed um and like you said um earlier Kamel the answer is not always yes you know sometimes you just need to create something for your own benefit um for your own creative process for your own um processing and it doesn't need to be shared um and while i think God has given us that creativity to share with other people. I think even if I knew that nobody else was going to be reading my work or anything, um, I would still do it. And I still do stuff like, um, you know, plunk keys are on the piano or, you know, mess around on the guitar or try and do like a drawing or sketching, which I'm never going to share with anyone. Um, because, I don't think anyone would want to to look at a painting or you know artistic drawing that I made, but um, but it's still I I just do it for my own deal. That's a great question. So there is a component of I think I would still create a little bit, but I love sharing. Um, creativity for me uh, can also be a form of processing. So um, I write music as a way of journaling in some capacity. And so if I'm needing to sort through an emotion, I'll write a song about it. And it's, and it's not even just like the, the technical component of writing a song. It's the emotional component of, of improvising a song on a piano. I am not incorporating the, the, the gears of let me make this chord, let me make this chord. It literally is just an emotional translation into my hands that make the music happen. And I have a lot of times where I'll just, I'll play the piano and I'm just emotionally connecting, processing. And that doesn't go anywhere. Um, and that's that's kind of special to to me. But at the same time, sometimes it does. Sometimes some of my best songs have come out of those processing sessions and um, there's, there's something special about it. Um, but if I were, I, I really do love the, the component of sharing and basically translating my excitement about something to someone else um, as well. And if that, if that's not there in some capacity, the audience can be limited, but engaged or, um that that's hard to to create <laughs> it's like is this worth is this worth it because no one's viewing it um so it's a little bit of both absolutely um well what question do you have for us michael yeah um speaking of value um my question is uh, kind of a question for myself but for the rest of you as well when we're creative we always feel like we're not good enough um and um, I'm not a good enough pianist. I'm not a good enough songwriter. I'm not a good enough cinematographer or podcast editor. Um, and our work isn't good enough. We see all the flaws in it. So my question is, what are the ways that you've progressed forward in life to realize I'm not good enough, but I'm going to still do it? And other people value that, even though I think it's not good. Yeah, I think I, I will hop in on this one because I, um, whenever, like, 
I would consider myself at this point what I would call a fully rehabbed perfectionist. Um, I used to have a level of perfectionism that was absolutely crushing. It was like everything had to be perfect. And if a product went out that just wasn't like I knew there was something wrong with it, it would it would like really mess with me. Like it would really bother me. And I think I got to the I think especially doing those weekly videos really helped with that working for clients really helped with that because it's like there's a deadline. And I think that there's a there's a it's sometimes it's kind of healthy to be able to say, okay, this is done. It's not perfect, but it is done. And once something is completed, that's actually when I learn the most from it. That's when I can look at it and say, okay, like, let's think about the timeline. Let's think about what I could have done better. Let's think about all these different things. That's when I learned the most. I don't, I'm not learning if I'm just sitting in the middle of the project going, ah, this could be, this could be better. I could tweak this. I could do that. I could, you know, because then I'm just getting lost in this cycle. And so I think what I look for in my creative work is uh, improvement, like over time and over my creative work, rather than trying to like put a hundred percent of my skill and ability into a single creative work. Another question that I ask myself a lot that has really opened my mind, in, especially when it comes to working for clients or doing things for work, is I ask myself, how good does this need to be? Which is kind of a funny question to ask, but it's like, you know, if it's you know, at the end of the day, if it's good enough and if you're just trying to put out a video to get a couple views or to engage an audience or to make some money or something like it really depends on what your goal is. But if that if the difference between meeting your goal and not is if this video goes out this week, I hit my goal. We're going to you know, engage our audience. We're going to do these things. Then it, it's accomplish its objective. And, you know, understanding that actually puts a ceiling on what perfection is. Because, you know, I, I, this video could be really cool and we could put titles in it and a, a thousand motion graphics. And then we could actually animate all of our faces so that it's even more engaging and we could tweak everything and we could spend a year making this podcast. But a year from now, this podcast is not very useful to us. We want a podcast for this week. And so I think just under like those things have really helped me. And they've also they've helped me develop professionally. Absolutely. But they've also helped me develop creatively to where I I really work backwards from a goal as opposed to um, working upwards towards like an imaginary standard of excellence. But I will tamper all of that by saying that anytime you're dissatisfied with your creative work, that also means that you have a desire to improve and you know where you want to improve. And that's insanely healthy. So like in a sense, like I'm constantly dissatisfied with everything that I make, but I've gotten to the place where I'm also comfortable with that reality. So that's a couple thoughts on that. I love that. And Michael, really good question. I would say that um, echoing a lot of what Ben said, but also the fact that um, there is so much to learn. And I'm always constantly hit with there is so much to learn. There's so much to improve in. And looking at my own work, I definitely struggle with being frustrated with how you envision something and then you try it and it doesn't turn out the way you expect it. So kind of what we talked about before, that's where I found myself getting stuck, where I would be like, I don't even want to look at this. This is like terrible. <laughs> um, but one thing, um, besides what Ben, you were saying about just, you know, growing, uh, one way I have um, practically to grow is just to focus on one thing. I, like it's a goal for me. Every single edit that I do, every single video, um, 
thankfully to this day, I would like, yeah, I can say I've worked on something new and it could be as simple as mastering a, a, a effect or, um, working on my project timeline better to manage time better. I'm working on one aspect or even like if I'm managing a, a bigger project where I'm managing multiple people and editors, like I'm directing, I'm going to work on that aspect better. And, you know, there's the big picture of, I want this to be a masterpiece. Um, and it's hard when you realize you're not as good as you think. Right. Um, but it's, I think it's important for me where I'm like, okay, I'm going to focus on this one small thing and do my best to master it. I might fail and that's okay. That's part of the process. You have to keep going to learn something and, um, you know, instead of focusing on like making everything perfect, I think focusing on one small thing for each video has been really cool. And it has helped me like get better every single video because I'm always looking for that one small thing to work on. Right on. Well, uh, what do you have for us, Abe? Yeah, so we've been going with really good, deep questions. So I want, <laughs> wanted something more uh, general, but what is something that uh, in your craft, what is something that you do creatively that to most other people seems very monotonous and boring, but for you is actually something that you do and is beautiful. For example, for me, I actually do enjoy editing, even though it is tedious. And, you know, sometimes you're just sitting in front of a computer going through clips and finding the good take. Um, but yeah, there's something about that that I really enjoy. What about you guys with your field? I got one here. So I do star time lapses. And part of star time lapses is literally sitting there for hours waiting for the camera to take the time lapse. <laughs> and um, for, for me, whenever I go out and I, I see the stars and I'm waiting for my camera, I'll sometimes I'll watch a movie or like on my phone or I'll just, I'll fly my drone or um, have some great conversations. But there's something about sitting there. It's incredibly monotonous. Who wants to be up at 11 to 2 a.m. Um, like taking having their camera take a picture slightly <laughs> freaked out if the police are going to come and knock on your window and tell you why are you here or someone's going to steal your camera there is some anxiety about it but there's also like a thrill um <laughs> that's when a roller you're, coaster ride for you like is someone going to take my camera <laughs> well, no, I, I don't like that, but like there's like the, the the anticipation <laughs> yes. of what is this time lapse going to be, and the the stars look amazing right now, and I just can't wait to see what it will turn into. Um, so that's that's just a, a quick thing, but if any of you want to come out and sit around for a couple hours at obnoxious late hours at night, let's do it because otherwise. It's this combination of excitement or just deep boredom. <laughs> I think that for me, it would be critiquing my own work. Uh, so like once I get a first draft done of say an Instagram, gra Instagram graphic, um, I will, I'll do a lot of edits within Photoshop, but oftentimes I have to export it uh, to double check and I'll zoom way in and be like, oh, no that one letter is somehow the wrong font or, oh, this needs to be sh uh, shifted over one point. 
oh, this needs to be enlarged. Oh, this needs to be whatever. Um, and I love that part. It's a little bit harder when it's coming from a client because then I feel like, oh, I failed. I missed it. But uh, once you get that feedback back and you get to go in and like make the little edits and make the like the vision like really come together uh, as like tedious as it can be. I think it's it's just so fun to be able to be like, oh, on this page, I missed this little thing. On this page, I missed this little thing. Okay, let me go back and fix that. Oh, now this page is off. Oh, now this, da, da, da. like just figuring out, like putting all the puzzle pieces together. I think that's really fun. There is something therapeutic about cleaning something up and you're just kind of like, you know, making it feel, look good, sound better, whatever, you know, you're polishing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, bring us home, Jace. What do you have? Uh, so we can talk about the community aspect. Um, I want to hear from you guys and and see if you have a community um, of creative people that you work with or um, create with and how they shape you. And if not, what can you do to to build or find that? So I don't want to answer all the questions, but I have a very specific answer to this. Um, really short. I was in Massachusetts and didn't really have that community. And so I moved to Colorado where that could happen. And that sounds really silly, but um, there has been a reward of moving across the country and being around other people. Just this past weekend, um, I got to fly drones um, for a documentary project. And that was purely because I was rubbing shoulders with the right people. And it was kind of one of those moments of, oh my gosh, I moved across the country, did something really bold. Um, and this is starting to happen because I took that risk and rubbed shoulders with the right people. So that, and and being able to work on the podcast every week and work with such an amazing talented team, applied to our creative team um, here at Unbound has been really, really awesome. So community does matter and proximity to that community also does play a huge role. Absolutely. Well, I think too, like there's been, I've gone, I've been sort of in and out. And I think right now I don't, I don't have like a, a lot of times creative communities kind of form around specific mediums. So you're like, oh, I have this kind of uh, group of friends who make films or I have this group of friends who write or I have this. And so I think because a lot of my creative work has been really um, varied and also really centered around like professional work, I don't I can't say that I have like uh, like a really specific creative community um, right now, but there are people that I know and that I call on and sometimes I'll ask some questions or we'll hang out and do like a project together. So there's, there's some semblance of it. I wouldn't say it's really intense. Um, and it could be more, but I think, you know, that also just kind of depends on my creative goals right now. It's like a lot of it just has to do with marketing. And I think there's a lot of creativity that goes into those strategies. So I hang out with a lot of marketers and I talk to a lot of marketers and, you know, there's, there's a lot of things like that, but I think for me, it doesn't, it, it looks a little bit different, um, but I'm pretty comfortable with kind of how things are going right now. If I wanted to really turn up the dial on filmmaking, you know, I would be more proactive about making connections and all that kind of thing. But that's not really the position that I'm in right now. So that's kind of how I look at it. 
Well, we are clocking uh, just over an hour now, and this has been a really fascinating conversation. I actually had more questions, but we'll have to save them for the next podcast. So that's going to be a little cliffhanger for you guys to look forward to the next creativity podcast. Um, Jace, Abe, Michael, Kamel, I appreciate you guys um, humoring uh, the questions that I brought for bringing your own questions. Uh, This has been a really fascinating conversation, and I hope you guys who are listening uh, enjoyed this podcast. And once again, if you know somebody, maybe they're a creative person, and they would be be a good fit for the Unbound community, um, you guys should go to beunbound.us slash refer. You could generate your unique referral link, um, and then when you do that, we can know that when someone enrolls, they actually enrolled because you told them about us, and then we can you can redeem your free perks. So definitely go to beunbound.us slash refer to learn more. And we will catch you guys next week.